the darkness that kept the earth in fear and sin. Isaiah foretold that. That's what we just sang. In today's passage, we continue with those words of hope, words of joy, really words of salvation. And I trust you always expect when you come through those doors to hear good news, the good news of our salvation in Christ. And so I would invite you to return with me in your Bibles to Psalm 132, Psalm 132, where today we look to read the next five verses. This will be verses 6 through 10. Last week we read verses 1 through 5. So this is where we resume. What we wanted to see last time, I trust, was the wanting, the wanting of a former and really a formidable walker in the faith. One of the pilgrims who went before us, that was David, King David. Do you remember what he wanted? A little pop quiz. Oh, let's say I wasn't here. Okay, you're excused. What did David want? He wanted presence. Not just any presence. Presence that could be put under a tree. He wanted God's presence. So much so that he made a vow. He would not rest, as the saying goes, and you could glance here if you want. He's not going to rest until he could provide a place for the Lord to dwell. Of course, not that the Lord could be contained in a particular place. He's God. But he wanted to provide a dwelling place as a symbol of God's personal presence, and really his permanent presence. They could see that in their midst. That's what David wanted. And then what do we do after that? We took our own longing, I trust, and went to the Lord's table. Because we want to enjoy the very presence of God in communion, which is what we have because of Christ. You know that. You know that. Victory at the cross brings us communion. And that leads us to the scene that we have today, the significance of what we're going to read next in this psalm. So be listening again for a word about presence. Only this time as we hear of presence returning. As God's people wanted then and as we want Today, Psalm 132, verses 6 through 10, this is God's word. We heard it in Ephrathah. We came upon it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. Let's pray together. Father, your word is holy because you are holy. And in this hour, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, we would know your holy presence in this word of truth. We pray for this goodness and for this grace in Jesus' name. Amen. This past week, I participated in two different gift exchanges. One was a straightforward uh, white elephant gift exchange. White elephant, I, whatever, I I guess all the gifts in the room are supposed to be unwanted uh, loser gifts. Um, And then then we had one that was sort of, it turned out to be a gray elephant gift exchange. (laughs) Because some gifts were desirable and others, well, were not. And uh, just worked out that way. And so with the part 
the game where some gifts were going well, if you've played the game, you, you know that you can steal a gift. And uh, when some of the gifts are worth having, that makes that part of the game more exciting and more extensive sometimes. Uh, you know, if you have a, a newly opened uh, bag of sand or a box of low-carb cereal, right, then you don't really care for that. But when you want to obtain someone's gift card to Starbucks, and when there are three of them already opened, it makes for an interesting time of pursuit, at least for those in the room, specifically in that case, who like the prospect of coffee and finding it worth keeping. Well, this coming week, you two uh, will likely participate in a gift exchange. Maybe it's silly, maybe it's serious. But at some point in that process, you're going to find that your head and your heart are going to look at what your hands just opened. And you will make an assessment. And hopefully you communicate the right thing. But the assessment might be, is this worth keeping? Or will I find a way to return it? Well, in today's verses, we see yet again a picture that reveals wanting presence wrapped up inside another picture of returning presence. What do you mean? Returning presence is both and, wanting and returning. Only the presence being returned here is not something you can control. You don't open it and say, now what will I do with this? Actually, not in the big picture, not ultimately, because the presence here is God's presence. That's the ultimate gift. That's the personal gift. And it is the gift that all of us must receive. We must receive it and cling to it because we want to. We summarized it last week, and we're going to do it the same way this week. When God offers us his presence, when God does that, we need to open up. We need to open up not simply with our hands, but with our hearts. We need to embrace the gift by faith. That's the distinct faith in his son, the son who is promised, the son who's realized in the person of Jesus Christ. That is what spiritual pilgrims do. If you haven't been following the whole pilgrim series, you know that since Psalm 120, we've been walking to Zion, effectively, with other pilgrims of the faith. They're going to worship the Lord because they were told to, but the heart of faith wants to process to Zion. We walk by faith because we want to, right? Here in verses 6 through 10, this is the latest and really the longest pilgrim song in this series, in this song of ascents. And what we find here is a retelling of a returning, a returning of God's people that they love to remember. They love to celebrate this because God's people were watching something that thrilled them. What was that something? Maybe you know. Maybe you have a, stu a study Bible and you're already looking ahead, or maybe you've studied this psalm by yourself. Well, they wanted to sing. Yes, that's what pilgrims do. They sing aloud on their way. This is more grand than kids singing camp songs on their way to camp. Um, those aren't especially inspired songs. This is an inspired song as they make their way. And the occasion here is one that we want to join today, especially as we see it in the ark's procession and then also as we hear it in the anointed's prayer. That's the basic outline for today. It's printed in your bulletins. Um, 
You'll see that last week's main point is there. That's point one. This is point two, just two subpoints, not real demanding. Saturday night, I'll mention this later, will be point three, and then, Lord willing, next Sunday will be point four. We're going to hear Psalm 132 as our pilgrim ascent. I think I'll put it here, a point of clarification uh, about the ark. What we mean by the ark, this was confusing as a kid, uh, this time we don't mean Noah's ark. Okay? Uh, it's not a boat. This is a box, a golden box that had the law of God placed inside it. And God uh, did some very dramatic things in the presence of this ark and what it symbolized. It was also known to have this mercy seat where the priest would sprinkle blood on the Day of Atonement to make uh, atonement for the sins of the people. It's that ark that we'll be referencing today. It's this portable presence of God symbolized in a box. Okay, So keep that in mind as we go along. Verse 6, we're entering a scene here. It's a great significance. Uh, we should ask ourselves, well, what's happening here? It's sort of midstream. Uh, did I miss that much last week? No, this is sort of a, a we've set it up. But we're, we're seeing a return, a returning uh, as we return to this passage ourselves. Evidently, David and his men, they heard something. You see that? And then they saw something. And something had to do with the Ark of the Covenant. So picking up in verse 6, we heard it in Ephrathah. Ephrathah, by the way, is generally that area around Bethlehem. Right? You've heard that in the Micah prophecy. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you're little. And so that's a prophecy. This is David's town. And out of you would come Messiah, anointed. Okay? Bethlehem Ephrathah. Verse 6. And we hear it there, and then the it seems to be a reference. This could be confusing. It's either a reference to a call to worship uh, or the whereabouts of the ark. Where's the ark? And we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, very specifically, verse 6 again. We came upon it in the fields of Ja'ar. Uh, that's a reference that pretty much sets up the brief the really poetic retelling of a very memorable, very momentous event in Israel's history. This was the time when the Ark of the Covenant was found in Ja'ar. Uh, Ja'ar is a, a shortened reference for Kiriath Jerim. Okay? You say, oh yeah, I knew that. Historically, that's significant here. Uh, and again, if you were referencing not only last week, but if you were here when Rusty preached through 1 Samuel, uh, not only if you were here then, but if you were here and have total recall, <laughs> then you will recall how the ark was taken to Kiriath Jerim and effectively, strangely, forgotten. It stayed there, get this, for 20 years. 20 years. That was strange. And it was left there until it was sought out by not, well, early raiders, they weren't raiders of the lost ark. They were, they were in search of the Lord's ark for, the, for good reason. You know, not maniacal, I've seen, never mind. Uh, they wanted to return the ark to its rightful place, which was David's city, Jerusalem. Okay, so that's the history of the backdrop. And then fast forward a little bit, Second uh, Samuel. Chapter 6 and 7. There's a record there. It's, it's sort of the longer version of what we find compressed here in Psalm 132. Specific, really, verses 7 through 9. It's a smashed down version and recollection of uh, this happy time. This, the ark's been found. It was now being transported to its rightful home. Uh, 
very excited. And in these eager words, verse 7, they're saying, let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. And the footstool there is another way of speaking of the Ark of the Covenant because the Lord revealed himself as seated over the Ark. So you can picture him putting his feet up on the Ark. This is his footstool. They are motivated worshipers. They're, they're moving the Ark. They're transporting it. Uh, they're moved by the Ark emotionally, inwardly. They could hardly contain this excitement as the ark was making its way. Uh, And then we hear this traditional marching cry of Israel. If you're, again, total recall, Bible scholars, you know. Moses would say this. What would he say? He would shout out whenever the ark was setting out, he would say, rise up or arise, O Lord. And that's what we hear in verse 8. Arise, O Lord, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. And then the role uh, of the priests and the people is expressed in verse 9 right there. May your priests be clothed with righteousness. May your saints sing for joy. I'm going to pause here just to point out this request for righteousness. It's, uh, it's not just as, uh, it's not vague. It's effectively a request for the real thing. They want, it isn't just about clothes. This is about the actual righteousness of God. They want that. They want God to give his righteousness, the actual right standing that a human can have with him. We referenced that already today in our service earlier. Uh, In other words, salvation. That's what they want. Give us that, Lord, as your presence here is made known among us. Here's the ark. And what are the saints doing? They're singing. Celebrate. Why wouldn't they? Now, you know, this is, a, this is the kind of thing that we ought to ask ourselves when we really understand the good news that we're singing about today, that we're hearing about again today. When we really understand it, we don't get bored with that. We just don't. It's always fresh. It shouldn't be the job of someone to ramp up, uh, you know, oh, it's Christmas. I guess we need to talk about Christ. We need to talk about the you, That's always exciting. When you understand yourself, when you understand that righteousness comes to us, they're praying for it here. Here we have the ark. It's covered the short distance at this particular occasion, this time in history. It's moving from Kiriath Jerim. You can say, I don't care. You should care. Because look at this picture. It's a very short distance. It moves from there to Jerusalem. This is the climax. This is how one author summarized it. I like this. This, this short trip here, this is the climax of a journey of centuries begun at far-off Sinai, end quote. Moses at Sinai, the ark's doing it. Ten commandments are placed in it. The ark moves around quite a bit. Now it's coming home. Finally, the ark of God had come to its resting place. So if you want to talk about the process, if you want to talk about the procession of returning presence, this is the scene. This is a dramatic scene that is set before us in a psalm. You know, if you think standing in Walmart next Wednesday, you know, for 20 minutes, you know, returning a gift, if you think that's an ordeal, how about waiting for centuries, centuries for this presence to return? So many other travels of the ark, other travails of the ark, uh, for example, when it led the way over the Jordan River, right, when people entered the land of promise, the promised land, that was one time. Then it made its way to Shiloh, then to Bethel, then to Mizpah, 
How about the encounters with the Philistines? Remember, those are pretty graphic. You can look these up. Uh, oh, and then that, that time when Uzzah was killed for touching the ark. But Lord, the, the oxen slipped and Uzzah had, you don't touch God's ark. You don't touch God's ark. Reference last week that I was in a play that referenced this and there was Uzzah getting killed on our stage, right? This is in college. Carrying the ark and David has a fit. Lord, how can you do this? You don't touch God. God says don't touch it. And, you know, strangely and in a modern sense, uh, you know, if you, again, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you get the idea that even Hollywood gets the sensation that there's something about, something serious about this ark. It was significant, at least as an archaeological find, and it still would be, right? But more than that, it isn't just a box made out of gold. For these people at this time, it was more. It symbolized the very presence of God. So I want to, under, I want to underscore that point. It's very important for today. The Ark of the Covenant, it has quite a history. It has real history, briefly sketched here, but still its significance is not wrapped up, certainly not in a movie, not, not in the sense that it has some you know, magical powers that wipes people away. I mean, not even in the appearance. Instead, the striking feature of the ark, these events, I'm going to say it again, is that it represents the presence of God with his people, with his pilgrims, right, as they're making their way in the walk of faith, trusting him every step of the way. If the question were to come up, is the Holy One of Israel with us? They could look at the ark and say, yes. Now we look at that and that, that may seem pagan or something. It's not. God isn't actually in the box and only in the box. But God was telling his people. He was reassuring them. I am with you. I am, you're my people. It's Christmas time, this makes sense. And you hear last year we spent quite a bit of time talking about Emmanuel. Again, referencing the past, you're killing me. Emmanuel means God with us. Ponder that one. God with us? In the ark? Yeah, you can see it there. We referenced other things like the Shekinah glory, just briefly. The temple, you could say to yourself, God's with us. The pillar of cloud, God's with us. And yet the drama is not yet finished. Not for the psalmist, not for these pilgrims. God with us. God with man. He's with sinners. Why is he with us? Well, he's with us in order to reconcile some to himself. He wants to bring joy to the world, as the song says. Savior appears in the flesh, and he brings victory. He brings victory over every enemy there is, every enemy of God at least. He brings victory. He brings peace. Peace with God, he brings deliverance from your guilt. He brings deliverance from your shame. Gives you the ability to stand in God's presence as righteous. We've already been over that today. You should say amen. That, that is it's where we've been. I want to go there again. I want to be told that I am righteous. I want to be told that God gave me his righteousness. You've heard that today. I'll say it again. If you're in Christ, he gave you his righteousness. You want to talk about wearing a robe, a priestly robe. How about the priest's robe of righteousness? That produces joy. May your saints sing for joy, verse 9, because the priest did clothe us with his righteousness. That's, that's what Jesus did. That's what he did when he won the victory at the cross. So if you've known his presence, 
if you've received his presence, then you've returned to God. You've been reconciled. You've been restored. You've been made righteous. So I want to just ask yourself, this is a good time, at least once a week, it's good to ask yourself this consciously. Am I righteous? And if so, why? Says who? Says myself? Says someone else? Or says God? Well, you are righteous if God's presence has been given to you. Jesus came to give that to everyone who turns away from self, deliberately turns away from self and from sin and turns to himself and to him alone. That's called faith. You lean on another for your salvation and you do that forever. You do that in this life and you enjoy that in the next life as well. We all need to do that. We all need to give in to him. You know that. We've summarized it this way. I'll do it again. We all need to open up to him. Why? Because God has offered us his presence. Get used to hearing that. It's true. We see that symbolically in the likes of the Ark of the Covenant. It's processing. It's going up the holy hill to Jerusalem. And we see it also clearly in the Son, Jesus Christ. He made his way to earth. He made his way to live here specifically to live righteously so that he could die a perfect death, return to the Father, prepare a place for us, and return to bring all of his children home. All the way home. That's the return that we await now as we process and wait for the Savior to come and lead the great procession procession when the saints come with him and gather up all of his people. We're talking about the returning of presence. Not only pictured here, as promised later, we're going to ask, are you ready for the day? And if you say, yeah, I'm ready, I'll ask this then. You say, I'm ready? Are you eager? Eager for the day of our Lord's return. Pilgrims are eager. Pilgrims are eager. In verse 10, we come to, it's really sort of a transition in the song of ascent that we have before us. Uh, What do we find? Well, verse 1, we hear a prayer that invokes the name of David. And then, see, that's what we saw last time. The prayer was the Lord would remember David, that he would remain faithful to David, to the promise he made to him. Uh, Just so you know, we're actually planning on, uh, that will be our focus Saturday night. This coming Saturday, when we gather to celebrate the Lord's birth, You could go ahead and ask yourself, Christmas Eve, celebrating with the Psalms? Yeah, celebrating with the Psalms, you bet. Christmas Day, celebrating with the Psalms? Yes, we'll celebrate with the Psalms. And we'll conclude this song again next week. Psalm 132 gives us plenty of occasion to sing, plenty of occasion to celebrate the Christ and his presence as heard, right, in the brief transition, there's a prayer. It's made on behalf of the Lord's anointed one. It could be, it could be by the Lord's anointed. It could be, that means his king. And it could be Solomon right here. It could be Solomon saying this, uh, which is David's son. 
to be making this request. It could be someone else. Either way, what's the desire here? The desire is for God's favor to be present. Why? Because of David. We're back to David. The promise made by God to him. This is, this is verse 10. For the sake of David, your servant, do not reject your anointed one. As if to say, remain faithful to me, Lord, uh, this, the current king, just like you were faithful to David. Accept me, Lord. Fulfill your promise to me, too, on David's behalf. We hear in there, we're still talking about presence, God's presence. It's what David wanted. We've been over that. And now here, what do we see? We've seen God's presence return in the form of the ark. It's now at Jerusalem. And now we hear this humble prayer by the Lord's anointed king. Like I said, Saturday we'll review this. Uh, we're going to advance. We're going to take another step forward in the pilgrim song. As we move from talking about wanting presence, right, then returning presence, then we're going to look at promising presence, and then next Sunday, sending presence. Sending presence. That will be Christmas Day, concluding the psalm. So we're asking ourselves all along this pilgrim way, in this psalm, how open are you to this presence? How open are you? How does this song speak to you before you celebrate Christmas, which is next week? You need to make sure that you have opened up, that you have received God's presence that's offered to you in the person of Jesus Christ, in his sacrifice. He is the anointed one of God. We just hear a reference to the anointed. And as a Bible reader, we tend to get excited about this phrase. Do you remember what anointed is in Hebrew? It's Messiah. Do you know what anointed is in Greek? Christ. This is always on the table. This is always before us. It's always driving at. It's always returning to Christ, the Lord. The scriptures point to him, all of them, not parts of them, not just the baby in a manger story, not just a select psalm here and there. All the scripture is driving to him, pointing to him, celebrating him, the king, the Christ, the anointed, the Messiah, the Savior, who is Emmanuel. God with us, God with us, with pilgrims, present with us even now. That's the gospel truth. We celebrate it today together, even as we rest in the gospel and even as we wait for the ultimate and the glorious return of our Lord. Let's pray together. Fathers, we hear the prayer of this psalm, and as we uh, watch the procession of the ark that it relives, Lord, we are reminded, uh, we are assured of your great presence with us. We thank you that you can be known. We thank you that it has pleased you to make yourself known, even to sinners, sinners of every generation, then and today. Lord, it is true that we are prone to exchange your presence for that of so-called gifts, 
we look around us, we see things that excite us and seek to entice us away from your word and away from your will. So we pray that you would forgive us. And we ask that you would return us again to yourself in a spirit of reliance and in a spirit of true readiness to serve you, our King, our Lord, our Christ, the anointed in whose name we pray. Amen. It is because our Lord rules the world with truth and